Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. I think we were very clear over the last year that um, the, the civil cases were in play over the last year also. Uh, the only thing that's changed is the criminal element um, it has been at least resolved. Um, and, and that was an important element in the context of the commissioner example that we've discussed with our players association. So that was an important. If, if the criminal had proceeded, that would more likely have triggered a commissioner exempt. I think at this point, a civil case in and of itself would not do that. If there's a violation of the personal conduct policy, that may trigger something. But it, that would more likely trigger some kind of discipline in some fashion. So there you go. That's what you referred to before the break, Bick, about Roger Goodell saying, hey, this is not my decision. Yeah. This would be an independent decision if there was a violation of the personal conduct policy for Deshaun Watson. And he was a big topic of discussion at the league meetings yesterday in Palm Beach, Florida. Not only was Roger Goodell talking about um, Deshaun Watson in terms of, you know, maybe possible future discipline, but one of the league owners himself was talking about the Deshaun Watson situation and the contract he got, $230 million, fully guaranteed from the Cleveland Browns. Um, Outside of all the legal ramifications to it, Steve Bashotti, who owns the uh, Baltimore Ravens, he went on record and said, uh, quote, I don't know that he should have been the first guy to get a fully guaranteed contract. To me, that's something that is groundbreaking, and it'll make negotiations harder with others. Now, mm-hmm. Steve Bashotti's in a situation where his own court, young quarterback is eligible for a contract extension, and we'll get more into the Lamar Jackson situation in a second. But that last part of that quote, Bick, it'll make negotiations harder with others. Guess where else that really holds true? Here, right in here Arizona. in Arizona yeah. with, with Kyler Murray. Yeah, that, that, and that to me is, is what made the Deshaun Watson trade to Cleveland so unpalatable, that it wasn't just the fact that his career has been activated and that he's going to start anew in a new market. It was the fact that that contract came with it, a contract that now really was a game changer because what quarterback is going to not want fully guaranteed money if they have any kind of leverage at all? Exactly. So you don't think it, Kyler Murray said, hey, I've been pretty good for three years, and oh, by the way, I don't have one civil lawsuit filed against yeah, me. Yeah. Where's my $230 right. million dollars guaranteed? Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's why things have been a little quiet. Well, yeah, and and I do think that fundamentally the issue might not be it might not be the fact that the Cardinals want Kyler Murray to prove something to them. I think it might be sticker shock. I think it might be looking at that number going, "What? We thought we were only going to have to pay him 40 million 40 million dollars. We're going to pay him 40 million bucks." And and now he wants two hundred and seventy guarantee whatever it is that might be what is is kind of happening here and, and I do I do agree and Mark Slareth said this yesterday that if you want to be Kyler Murray and you want the team to give up its control of you you've got to back off the price a little bit you have to yes but it, especially since you've never won a playoff game in light of all this. Do you expect that to happen? I I don't know. I, I I don't know what he's doing back working out if he's if he's clinging to a number or an idea. Yeah, it's but but you're right. The Deshaun Watson thing. Steve Biscotti trying to paint Deshaun Watson as an outlier. That's not going to work for agents. Do you think agents are going to go? Okay, you're right. 
Deshaun Watson, that was just pure desperation from the Browns, and they messed up. So you know what? Let's take that off the sheet of comps. Let's not even consider that. Yeah. Of course they're not. That is going to be the market now. Yeah. And every agent is going to say, my guy's just as good as Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have the baggage. And he's yeah. not problematic. Yes. Right. Uh, the Lamar Jackson uh, situation on another front is interesting as it pertains to the Kyler Murray situation. Again, Lamar Jackson, who's won a league MVP, uh, has been very successful, is coming off a year where he was banged up and was, was not as effective or available for the Baltimore Ravens. But he does not have an agent. He is contract extension eligible. Mm-hmm. And another thing that Steve Bashotti said yesterday was um, he called it unique as hell in yeah. terms of Lamar Jackson's own approach to getting the contract extension. He doesn't want one. He said, quote, unless he has a change of heart and calls general manager Eric DaCosta and says, I'm ready, Eric can't keep calling him and say, you really need to get in here. That's not a GM's job. Um. And he was also asked why he thinks this is Lamar Jackson's view. This is very interesting. The quote from the owner of the Ravens, the kid is so obsessed with winning a Super Bowl that I think deep down he doesn't think he's worthy. I think he wants that to say, uh, now I deserve to be on top, end quote. Stunning. If all of that is true, how much respect should be coming to Lamar Jackson? I I had the same feeling. My first thought was, wow, that's the other end of the spectrum to where Kyler Murray and his camp are. Then I had the, I really commend Lamar Jackson for having that mentality. But then also, pessimistically, you look at it and you giggle. Because why should he be the one to have to prove himself? Why of all people. He be the one to wait. Of all people, the guy that has exposed himself to physical damage, running the ball, shouldering the entire offense... This is a guy that, that again, coming out of college, the NFL wanted him to change positions, and he simply refused. He said, no, I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. You're, no, no. And for him to go, no. I, I, for the owner to want to pay him, and for the GM to be telling him, come on, man, we got to sit down and hatch this thing out. And he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this thing out. Stunning. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference, and it, it certainly applies here. There's a difference between commendable and wise. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is certainly commendable right. Right. and old school of uh-huh. Lamar Jackson, is but it it, wise? it's not the smartest thing for, for his all career. Especially with how he plays, yes. too. Like, right. you're putting your body on the line every single game. Yeah, yep. Part of the reason that they didn't immediately give him the extension, I'm sure, is because of all the injuries he's had and how injury-prone he is. So for him to not, I don't know, it's very, it's risky. And that wasn't really the case until this past year. But it was something that would always seem like it was inevitably going to be something. But it also seems like the Baltimore Ravens, as an organization, are ready to give him the contract extension regardless of the injury history it does. last season. Well, they probably look at this and go, okay, look, we love the guy, we want the guy, and these prices are just going up and up and up and up. Come on, yeah. let's get this thing done. <laughs> and Maybe that's Lamar Jackson waiting but, it out saying, you know, okay, Deshaun Watson, $230 million guaranteed. Here I am, another the, guy without the baggage. Yeah. The big, the big difference to me, Vinny, is the fact that um, the the difference in the juxtaposition of Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson is the idea of entitlement. There's a feeling like, okay, Kyler, we understand what you want, but don't think you've earned this yet. Well, versus Lamar Jackson, who is content to go into year five when Kyler Murray is going into year four. Mm-hmm. Ky- Lamar Jackson has had MVP votes. Lamar, has he, did he win an MVP? He won an MVP. He won an MVP. Yeah. He won an MVP. Yeah. And he's won a playoff game. So his creds 
are better by far than Kyler Murray. But you also mentioned it. His entry into the league, getting drafted 30th overall, the fifth of the five big quarterbacks of that 2018 class, he bet on himself. Uh Um, So there wasn't maybe that initial feeling of entitlement by being the number one overall pick. Well, but, but also last year, part of the narrative was, has the league figured out Lamar Jackson? And if you were Lamar Jackson, and if there was any truth to that, you'd probably want to get your money before that was uh, proven to be true. But it's a nothing but respect to Lamar Jackson. That's that's sort of uh, that's very very refreshing. Yeah. Um, again, refreshing and wise. Two different. Yeah. Right. Two different things. Two different things. <laughs> Coming up next, Phoenix Suns getting ready for a game with the Golden State tonight, looking for win number sixty-two. But there's. Plenty of other storylines in the NBA to uh, uncover. We'll get into some of them next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Suns Day. Brought to you by Four Peaks Wow Wheat. On the home of Phoenix Suns Basketball. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Suns Day with Bickley and Murata. Fans complain about media bias. And a lot of times I'm like, you know, it's like the cancel culture. Take a deep breath. It's been around forever. But, you know, fans are right about this because Phoenix analytically is so far and away the best team in the NBA. And who do I cover? The Lakers. Who does everybody else cover? Brooklyn and Kyrie and all their drama. Colin Cowherd from Fox talking about the media bias that exists against the Phoenix Mm -hmm. Suns. Although the last week or so, I think we've, we've seen a... A shift in the coverage. We've seen a shift oh, no in the doubt. amount of respect that's been paid to the Suns. In fact, I, I, I haven't seen the clip, but somebody tweeted about it that yesterday, J.J. Redick, who's really making waves as a as a newer NBA analyst, fresh uh-huh. from the league, uh-huh. he was on a panel show on ESPN, and the topic of discussion was the Los Angeles Lakers, and he said, I refuse to talk about this team. Good. Let's talk about the other teams. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's and listen, and and that's why I, th- I think Colin Coward is also sort of trying to differentiate from his former employers at ESPN, who do nothing but just fixate on LeBron James mm-hmm. and the Lakers. And and so, pro- and again, it gets back to that conversation that we had yesterday. It's really easy to mistake a lack of respect towards um, business models and pandering that happens. It's not it's not fair. It's not right. It's not how it used to be. But it's what networks do now. And you got to realize that as a Suns fan, you got to realize that this triumph is going to hopefully is going to be deeply personal. And and at the end of it all, who cares? Who cares what those the morons think? Mm-hmm. That's basically the the tact you got to take when you realize that their motives are not to provide coverage of the best teams in basketball. That is not what they're attempting to do. And they're attempting to titillate by going to the to the easy stories, the push-button stories, and LeBron James and hating on the Lakers, that's one of them. And it's ridiculous because the Lakers are not even a playoff team. It's the same thing they do with Cleveland and Baker Mayfield. They uh, Before Deshaun Watson was traded, they spend inordinate amounts of time talking about a quarterback from a team that you know was eliminated in the first round of the playoffs or whatever. Sure. It's nonsense, sure. and it can drive you nuts if you let it. You know what I can't wait for, Bick, is if this trend with the Lakers continues, we heard it last year. Well, if Anthony Davis didn't get hurt, they would have beat the Suns. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you can believe that all you want. I can't wait for the refrain from Lakers fans this year. Well, if the Lakers would have qualified for the playoffs, they would have won the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. Trust if we had only gotten in, yeah. we would have t- taken apart everybody. You know? If only and we hadn't been dog breath the entire regular season. <laughs> right. right. It's it's really just it's 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 insane. I was sitting there like you watching some of that Mavericks game going, why? 
Why am I watching this game? There Why is this game being presented to me? An unbelievable matchup of two teams in the East who you knew were going to be good this year in Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Yeah. I think there were some question marks about Dallas. Uh, less question marks at the beginning of the year, but certainly some with the Lakers. But uh-huh. This is one of the perils of the NBA announcing their, their television schedule at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think they should do it like they did in the pandemic year. Half of the season, let's come up with the schedule uh, for, for television, and then let's revisit that yeah. at the midway point. Because the Lakers are on national TV, I think, three more times in the next week. Yeah. And nobody I, cares. No. But, right. Here, here's... Why it doesn't really matter, sort of like you were saying, Dan, is it's not college basketball, and the more exposure you get doesn't matter because you're just going to, if you get the number one seed, it's because you have the best record. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have to get voted into a number one seed or get voted into a top 25 poll, and if you know people aren't watching the games, then that won't happen. Well, it, it, but it's also very natural, because part of the pride you want to feel when you have a great sports team is a recognition that the rest of the country is seeing the same things you are. And, and so there's that. That's, that's Especially because we've waited so yeah, long for and this. And it's perfectly natural, and it's perfectly normal, but I just, like I said, I just think it's very easy to get sideways with it because you're expecting you're expecting these news outlets and networks to be fair in their coverage and to, yeah. and to, to give flowers to whom flowers are deserving just to live in reality to just live in reality and but but no it's it, let's rip on Baker Mayfield let's rip on LeBron James rinse cycle repeat here now as far as tonight's game goes i think this is going to be interesting to me because you talk about the phoenix suns and their grudge holding it's one of the more breathtaking things that they do if you beat the phoenix suns they remember it mhm and the Warriors are 2-1, and one, is that right? They are. Okay. And the Warriors are shorthanded tonight. So there's going to be optics involved tonight. The last thing you want to do is lose to the Warriors without Steph Curry and give that team hope. That's the last thing you want to do. I'm really not afraid of that happening, the way the Suns are playing right now. But it's not what you want to happen. No, absolutely not. You don't want that to happen at all. Now, um, uh, in terms of the, the increase in national respect that the Suns are getting, uh, here is an ESPN personality, Richard Jefferson, talking about that uh, very topic and uh, where he's got the Suns on his pecking order. Number one, ladies and gentlemen, my hometown. Are we going to show yeah, the number, Phoenix Suns? Are the Phoenix Suns are number one, and the reason why they're number one is Tim Legler did this amazing piece. They had every single thing that you need. Do they have a dominant big? They, yes, they have Aiden, and then they have Javel McGee, and then they have Biaz, uh, Bismack Biombo. Then do they have three and D guys? They have some of the best three and D guys in this league. You have Mikael Bridges, and you have Jay Crowder. Then do they have elite clutch time play? Uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are two of the most elite. Players, I think they rank either one and two or one and three in clutch time moments, lack of turnovers. They have every single thing you need to be dominant, and that's what they've been this year. I was also reading a fascinating thread on Twitter recently from a guy, Matt Peterson, who used to work for the Suns, now he covers the NBA in another capacity. But the reason why this exists, um, in a, and it's subconscious for a lot of people, uh, even if you're a national pundit on, the, uh, on uh, a network, um, you'll say, well, the Suns aren't for real because of two things. They've never won it before, mm-hmm. and they don't have an MVP on their roster. And that's pretty rare for NBA teams to win titles without having a past MVP on their roster. It doesn't happen very often. Is that right? I yes. never thought about that. Uh, but uh, I agree with Richard Jefferson. When you look at what the what the Suns have 
And you had a combo of three things. You talked about hunger, you talked about chemistry, and there was something else you mentioned um, that the Suns have. All, all, talent. Uh, talent. All, yeah. th- all three of those right. ingredients, uh, which is a pretty rare recipe to be able to check all three of those boxes. Yeah. Well, it w- and what here's the thing about it, too. It's I, I think it, when you brought up kind of jokingly yesterday that the Suns have dual MVPs, I actually really vibe on that. I actually really believe that because I think Chris Paul has not, even though people talk about it, I don't think people respect really what Chris Paul is all about. And because he's not a flashy kind of point guard, it, it, what he has done here is is everything. The foundational stuff he helps supply here. You cannot take that away from them. You cannot you cannot under or overstate how important that was. And then meanwhile, what we've seen from Devin Booker in the past month or six weeks is a guy now who is ascending into that role. Yeah. As MVP candidate. So so the Suns truly do have two of them. But uh and this is just one reference point, but basketballreference.com has their daily MVP award tracker. They uh, they update it daily. Uh, and I find this interesting too. Jokic one, Giannis two, Embiid three, Chris Paul four, Luca five, Devin Booker six. Wow! Again, that's just one one metric. Yeah, and, and one outlet's metric. I again, I th- I think Devin Booker passed Chris Paul on the MVP depth chart I do during too. Chris Paul's injury. Fifteen games. Yeah, you a substantial can't, amount right. of time. Yeah, yeah. Have you subscribed to the Bickley and Murata podcast? Subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast brought to you by Carol Royce Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get the most money selling your home for cash. Go to highestprice.com. That's highestprice.com. Coming up next, we'll get you caught up on all the big stories of the day. Sarah Cazell will take us through the Rush Hour reboot. Next, it's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Setting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. That's American-owned and American-dreamed Brooklyn Betting. Welcome in, everybody, to the Rush Hour Reboot here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. I am Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Hey. Vince Murata. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> what was that? Switching things off. Just and Jared Carlin. That was amazing. What is that from? That's Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler's first uh, comedy album. Oh, Vince, do you like Adam Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that I, I used to wear those first two CDs out. They were hilarious. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Very dirty. Learning a Very lot Very right dirty. Now. Okay. Yeah. You and me both, Sarah. Okay. You and me both. <laughs> They're Bic- all going to laugh at you. Bick will have to have a, a listening party. Right. Never. Yeah, all right. never. Exactly. Uh, this is the Rush Hour Reboot. We take you through the top stories of the day. Let's start with the Phoenix Suns, who could tie a franchise record tonight. 61 wins. Uh, 62 is the all-time wins record held by two Suns teams previously. Um, they play the Warriors in San Francisco tonight. This will be their fourth and final meeting of the regular season. We'll see if they face off in the playoffs. Cam Johnson is listed as doubtful on the injury report. Uh, so, 
Not expecting to see him, but that's a small step in the right direction for him as he has been out the past 12 games now with a quad contusion. Here is Cam Johnson yesterday. It's important to get back and as soon as possible, whenever that will be, just to get that rhythm going in the playoffs. And I was in a similar situation last year with my wrist, um, but I didn't get to play any regular season games. Kind of just hop right back in the playoffs. So this year I want to try to get a couple of those games in and get cardio ride and get rhythm up. Okay, so Cam Johnson says he's eager to get back before the playoffs. Monty Williams also said yesterday he would like to get Cam Johnson back uh, at some point next week. Uh, How important is it to get Cam Johnson back up and running full speed again before the playoffs start? Very, very. I I think that Cam uh, provides a very uh, unique role on this team. I think he's a guy that can add offensive punch in the playoffs when the team is going to need it. At times, it was a weakness last year. Cam, I think, proved that he's a big-time performer in pressure moments. It doesn't get to him. A lot of shooters, it does. So I, I do think he's vital. If, if this team wants to fly as high as it can, Cam Johnson has to be part of it. Totally agree. You hit the nail on the head. Very important, vital, great ways to put it. Cam Johnson in the nine games before his injury was shooting 54% from three-point range. And you hit it on the head again when you said, Last year, there were times in the playoffs, especially as they got deeper and deeper, the offense bogged down and relied so heavily on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I heard Burnsy make this point yesterday, and it's so true. And maybe it was Luke. It was one of those guys. I get these guys. Couldn't have been Luke, yeah, right, was it Jared? Good? Was it... <laughs> it's easy to figure it out. It was, I think it was. Good point. It saying? was actually Luke. <laughs> oh, I'm sure Burnsy said other great stuff <laughs> yesterday, but yes. not, it wasn't this. Yes. But he said. Look, the Suns got better from last year to this year, partly because of the holes they filled, bringing in a JaVale McGee, bringing mm-hmm. it Tory Craig back, bringing in Landry Shaman, who's been really good as of late. But they're also better this year because a lot of their players got better. Mikel Bridges continues to develop, and Cam Johnson was on that on that path as well. So, yeah, it is very important that he gets that rhythm that he is seeking. So if he does come back next week, the Suns, it's it's the last uh, week of the regular season. They've got Oklahoma City on Sunday, the Lakers on Tuesday, the Clippers on Wednesday, the Jazz on Friday, and then finally the Sacramento Kings the following Sunday. So a few different uh, opportunities for him to play before the playoffs get going. Uh, secondarily, tonight, Warriors-Suns in San Francisco. Do the Suns tie the record? Oh, yes, yes, they do. Uh, I think that they're playing at a level now, and I think they want to. I think they want to settle a score with Golden State. I think Golden State's reeling, and um, I, I don't think without Steph Curry, they're capable of beating the Suns right here and now. Yeah, it doesn't look like they're capable of beating anyone right now. No, as, as great as the Suns are, they don't have a ton of games where they just absolutely destroy someone in the first quarter True. and then just coast. True. If there ever was going to be a game where they feel like they want to do that, mm-hmm. this could be the one of the games tonight. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. It's not like the, the, the Warriors are shorthanded, but they're not without talent. I mean, I, of course, Jordan, no, I'm just Jordan saying Poole's playing out of his mind that right they feel like they want to do yeah. that. If you're the Suns, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's go elsewhere in the NBA. Giannis had one of those nights last uh, night. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Forty points and a game-saving block of Joel Embiid in the final seconds of the game, Bucks Sixers in Philly. Uh, Giannis was the NBA MVP in 2019 and 2020. Last year, of course, it was Jokic. Here's Brian Windhorst, who covers the NBA for ESPN, on Giannis's MVP chances right now. Basically, does he deserve the honor again this season, or is voter fatigue going to get in the way? Once you've won an MVP, or if you've won two, 
the bar becomes higher. This happened with LeBron. Like uh, LeBron, with Michael. Won, yeah. yeah, LeBron won four MVPs in five years. And I think I voted for him. I think I gave him my first place vote in something like seven out of eight years there in, Cle- in his Cleveland-Miami years. But Le- basically the voters got tired of voting for LeBron. And he wasn't just competing against the other guys in the award. He was competing against himself from previous years. Mm-hmm. And that's what Giannis is at right now. Okay, so did last night's game for Giannis, signature moment, move him up in your MVP considerations at all, bump down Joel Embiid? What, what is your, your MVP uh, internal conversation right now? Yeah, last night, that play at the rim, I, I think if it did anything, it, it might have solidified the Defensive Player of the Year award to Giannis. And that would not be good for Mikhail Bridges. But those are the plays that really stick with people. And Giannis has got a... Uh, a litany of them. He's um, got a pocket full of those types of in big situations yeah. on big stages yeah. against really good opponents. He yeah. did it in the finals. He did it last night yes. in, a, in a big game in the Eastern Conference. Yes, I agree with you. And I think in a way, uh, you know, we're talking about Devin Booker's ascension in the MVP. I, I think Giannis is one of those guys that's that's rising too. Yeah, uh, he had an unbelievable game last night, statistically and impact wise. And he, as much as you don't want it to, recency bias is so big it when is. it comes to voting on these awards. And, mm-hmm. and so do the jaw-dropping defensive plays. Yeah. Like, everybody remembers LeBron's block from behind in the in the NBA Finals mm-hmm. victory over Golden State and then Giannis last year. It, that stuff stands out more than Mikael Bridges playing 50 minutes a game guarding whoever Monty Williams tells him to guard. Even though what Mikael Bridges does, you can argue, is more difficult because of the versatility and range um, involved, you know how that works. Right. All right, let's go to the NFL. Yesterday at NFL owners meetings in Florida, they approved a new overtime rule just for the playoffs. Uh, for the postseason only, both teams are guaranteed at least one possession in the overtime period. If both teams get a possession and they're still tied, it then goes to sudden death. Doesn't affect the regular season, just the playoffs. This is... The overtime rules for the NFL became a very hot topic of conversation during the playoffs just this past season. That Chiefs-Bills game, the instant classic when Josh Allen did not get to go back out and, uh-huh. and, and take a shot at the Chiefs. Um, what rule do you think the NFL should change next? Ooh. That's a good one. It is. I didn't... I was I was unprepared to answer prepared. this question. Would you like to discuss what you think <laughs> no, about the No, no, I know. I listen. I I think my biggest issues with the NFL is the the amount of insig- insignificant pre-snap penalties they call. I would like to see something done on that. What we saw during the last few weeks of the NFL playoffs were NFL officials throwing their putting stuffing their flags in their pockets and only throwing them in extreme situations and that is that to me made football beautiful. So something along those lines. That's what I would like the NFL to tackle next. I don't know but if there's a specific rule. I, I don't disagree with that sentiment, but that I don't think that necessarily comes down to a rule change. That mm-hmm. comes down to how an official is feeling on a given day or how a crew is feeling. Like, how much are they going to let go? Mm-hmm. It's more of a unquantifiable thing. Yeah. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. Um, I don't. Again, I really don't have anything coming to mind. I mean, I'm sure there's a pl- plenty of them, but I got nothing yeah. on the top of my head right now. Do you like the new overtime rules? Yes and no. I mean, we talked about it earlier in the week. I don't hate the rule, but I think when we're talking about playoff football, why the coin toss gets so much importance and those numbers bear it out. The team that wins the toss wins the game. 
It's because the team that loses the toss goes on defense, and they get really, really squeamish about playing defense, and they don't want to mess up and get beat for the big play, so they'll just allow a lot of underneath stuff, and it usually leads to to fail. So I, I, I think it's... It's okay, but it's also incumbent on, you know, and this eliminates a lot of that thinking. It's, it's interesting to me, though, that the, the Falcons' immortal collapse in the Super Bowl to the Patriots did not drive the rule change. Josh Allen not getting back on the field did. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. But there was, um, I'm trying to think. There was another game, like two years ago, a playoff game, where that was the case, too. Yeah, it, it happened to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's right. He was on the other the end Patriots. of it. He was on the other end the of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, this also uh, might change the thinking, too, is that teams will, um, instead of going, instead of winning the coin toss and taking the ball, they'll go on defense first mm-hmm. to know what exactly what they have to do, being guaranteed a possession. Yeah. So that'll said- that'll become more like college. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, We're all Sarah. rebooted, or at least partially rebooted. Yes. Coming up I feel fully rebooted. <laughs> I don't know about you. Coming up next, we'll talk some Cardinals off-season. Former Cardinal and a member of their broadcast team, Rob Fredrickson, will join us next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Ak-Chan Community Studios, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. I think it's huge. Um, I think all of us want to feel wanted. You know, you put so much time and effort and work into this game. Um, so that's a big part of it. And, um, he knows how we feel about him, and, and so I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do with him. That was Cliff Kingsbury yesterday at the owners' meetings in Palm Beach, Florida, obviously speaking into a can attached to a string, but talking about how important it is uh, to feel wanted in the quarterback role, which is at the heart of the Arizona Cardinals offseason. Here to talk some Cardinals offseason uh, football with us, guy who wore the uniform for the Cardinals and now a member of their broadcast team, Rob Fredrickson joins us in studio. What's up, Rob? Hey, what's Freddy! happening, guys? You tired of hearing about the Kyler Murray saga? Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> Unbelievably. So we're going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we were talking about um, the 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 quotes from Steve Bashotti, the the owner of the Baltimore Ravens, on how difficult the Deshaun Watson contract. $230 million of guaranteed money. He's the first guy really to get a deal like that. How it complicates negotiations for other quarterbacks. And we were kind of spitballing on how that affects the Arizona Cardinals in their current situation with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's camp might have had a change of heart after that contract was signed. Like, hey, let, let, let's maybe wait because the market just got reset. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. And and I think it's it's the guaranteed contract part of it that mm-hmm. that is you know so, such an outlier for NFL owners because you go back to uh, when Gene Upshaw was the head of the union. Uh, in order to get free agency, he basically had to give away. Uh, guaranteed contracts. It's the only professional sports uh, league that doesn't have guaranteed contracts, and and you know I don't I don't think they'll ever have them. Uh, but obviously, an owner can forego sure. that and right. and go ahead and and give a guaranteed contract like they like they did with uh, Deshaun Watson. So it definitely sets a precedent for quarterbacks, especially. I don't think you'll see it much uh, in terms of the other positions, but for the quarterback position, that that had to been uh, okay. Hold on, let's let's pull back here and let's be a little bit nicer <laughs> yeah, from yeah, Kyler right, Murray's camp, right. you know? and, and and maybe hopefully that is it. We we had a long conversation with Mark Schlereth yesterday, and this is all off the air, but he was talking about how how 
offenses and quarterbacks in running games need to have a quarterback up under center because if you operate out of the shotgun primarily, you waste a lot of time getting the ball in the running back's hands. And uh, what, what did he say it was, Vinny? Two-tenths of a second difference? Yeah, seemingly minuscule. But, but, but in the NFL, it's not. Yeah. It, do you believe that, that fundamentally Kyler Murray has to change the way he plays football at the line of scrimmage? I've talked uh, about this with Wolf a lot, and we both believe that there has to be at least a part of the package, at least a part of the offense where Kyler Murray is under center. It gives you the ability uh, really for the play action. The play action is not really believable when you're in a shotgun. It it, it just isn't. Uh, Linebackers have time to to assess it and see it and and understand whether or not it's it's actually a, has a chance of being a run. But when you're under center, you think about some of the great play-action quarterbacks throughout the history of the league, and Peyton Manning comes to mind. It just the ability to sell that potential of the run uh, and, and pull that ball out, and then it, it just gives your offensive line time. It, it's it's a timing uh, thing for, for wide receivers, in fact, to, to get open. Uh, it, to me, it just opens up so many things that Kyler Murray can do it give him the ability to to get out of the pocket um, and, and not uh, under duress, but plan yeah. getting out of the pocket and give him uh, you know one or two options down the field, which which I think he needs. You know, I really do. Uh, when you think about Kyler Murray, and I, the first thing that comes to mind is not reading defenses and and scanning the whole field and going through all five of your progressions. For me, it's take away half of the field, give him a deep, give him an out, give him an underneath, and give him the option to run. For me, that makes so much sense when you think about Kyler Murray. That's a good point. That's a really good point. But on that front, how difficult the transition is that, not just on Kyler Murray's part, for a guy who's played from the shotgun his entire career, we know that you know when, when you take a shotgun snap, your back is never really to the defense. So you have everything in front of you. That's made That's been a comfort uh, uh, situation for Kyler Murray. But also, Cliff Kingsbury's offense historically has featured quarterbacks out of the shotgun. So when you factor those two things in, how much of an undertaking is that to, to, to install more of the quarterback under center in the offense? Uh, you know, it's important. So if it's important, uh, who cares about the difficulty? You, you you need to you need to establish it, and and they did it at times last year. Put Kyler Murray under center, and they were effective. Um, so I, you know, I think it needs to be a bigger part I, of this yeah. offense. It's it's so true, and and you look at at the Rams by way of example. Even even before Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff made a living play action bootleg. But but the quarterback, you've got to be comfortable that if you do that and you start to roll out in one direction, and if there's a linebacker standing in front of you, maybe ten yards away, you got to be comfortable with that, right? Well, you do, uh, and and I think you know if if you get into those scenarios with Kyler Murray and his athletic ability, that I think that plays right into his hands. He he has the uncanny ability to avoid contact, yep. mm-hmm. um, especially in the open field. He 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 has uh, his desire for self preservation is extremely high, and he's good at it um, for the most part. But when he gets under duress, if he's in the he's in the shotgun and he gets under duress, his his natural kind of proclivity is is to escape back and out versus yes. stepping up into the pocket. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of that is is because you know the internal offensive line hasn't been the, the strength of this this offensive line. Um and, and and I think the Cardinals have addressed that and will continue to address that. But um also, you know, Ky- Kyler Murray's short. He he's he is. And and to 
step up into the pocket is is difficult for for a quarterback of his size. So he he does have to kind of escape outside and yeah. uh, to to get some visibility. Yeah, start dealing out there on yeah. the edges. Exactly. Rob Fredrickson, our guest in studio here on uh, Bickley and Murata Mornings. You you mentioned addressing the interior of the offensive line. They got Will Hernandez, which was kind of a under the radar signing, but a, a signing we liked uh, more than the other moves that they've made this off season. As a whole, right now, how do you view what the Cardinals have done this offseason? A lot of important boxes still to be checked in the draft, but it's been it's been pretty quiet. It's been very quiet, and you know I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I know Cardinal fans are are getting anxious and want to see some splashy things like what the Raiders have done and some other teams throughout the league have done, but um, just signing some of your key assets, uh, renewing some of the contracts of, of some of your key players, I think, is, is a big step. Um, but there, you're right, Vince, there, there are still some some holes that need to be filled. I think uh, the the wide receiver number two is, is huge. I think that's, maybe, that, maybe they're going to address that in the draft because this is a very deep, very heavy wide receiver draft class so maybe maybe they're going to go that way but there's still some good free agent uh, NFL players out there that you know maybe the Cardinals are taking their time and and kind of seeing what what the market will dictate and there's down the value a little bit yeah (laughs) there's a uh, there's a lot on the table for both Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons neither of whom got a lot of action in the playoff game Tanner Vallejo was getting reps with the with the defense in that game which was a little bit odd as a man who played that position and played it well what do you see from both of them in terms of where they each have to get better uh, understanding the game, uh, understanding and being able to diagnose, run, pass, situational defense, and and you have a, a split second to do that, and then you have to react. Um, it's 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 a little bit easier. I, w- I won't say it's easy, but it's a little bit easier when you're at a position of depth. Maybe uh, you know, and I, I think Isaiah Simmons talking about him um, in in college, he spent the majority of his snaps kind of at that slot or safety position. He wasn't really an inside linebacker for the most part, and if he was, he was blitzing. So that really cuts down on, on t- in terms of the um, decision-making that you have to do. So um, that, to me, is, is going to be the biggest hurdle that these guys are going to have to overcome is really really that decision-making and, and believing in what you see and going and making a play. You see Isaiah Simmons shifting to the outside more? I, I I just I I think for his body type and and the way he he's he just is um, being an inside linebacker for me the Arizona Cardinals are going to have to devote a lot more attention to shoring up that interior defensive line to take some of the stress off of him and allow him yeah. to be the athlete that he is. Um, but if you allow an offensive lineman to get up into Isaiah Simmons, he's you know he's just an average Joe. He's he, he's he doesn't have the ability to get off of those big offensive lineman. Yeah, that's right. Rob, great stuff, man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, always. Thanks for having me, guys. Rob Fredrickson, member of the uh, Cardinals broadcast team, former Arizona Cardinal. He joined us here on Bickley and Murata Mornings, which will continue. The second half gets underway with the Bickley Blast next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.